0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Metabolic Classroom, a nutrition and lifestyle podcast focused on the truth. Behind why we get sick and fat. What you're about to hear was taken from a live broadcast streamed on insulinIQ.com. The Metabolic Classroom is brought to you by Insulin IQ and by Health Code Meal Replacement Shakes. Episode 19 Does Red Meat Cause Cancer? Within the field of nutrition, fewer topics are as hotly debated and defended as the view that red meat causes cancer. Let's explore the data, keeping in mind that correlation is not causation. Now, before I turn the time over to Ben, I want to just preface this by letting you know that we get lots of questions about red meat and not just about cancer specifically, but about many other uh, components of of health that related to the, the studies about red meat. So today, we are just kind of restricting this discussion to red meat and cancer, we will be discussing other metabolic classroom sessions related to, to red meat in the future and, and other issues, high blood pressure and uh, heart disease and so forth. So with that in mind, Dr. Bickman, go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jack, for queuing that up. Um, so in fact, I would even remind people they could go back. Jack, it was just a few weeks ago, right, guys, where we talked about saturated fats and heart disease. Yes. And that would, so someone really wanted to scratch that itch right now they could certainly go back and, and watch that one or listen to that um, to get an idea of, of where we might go in the future with that topic. So with regards to red meat and cancer, this is one of the things that is um, uh, almost dogmatic uh, where people look at it as just fact, it is done and there should be no debate. And in fact, if you even attempt to bring it up, you're shunned from educated society. So the, the, the World Health Organization, plays into this, they certainly feed this worry where they consider red meat to be a group 2A carcinogen, which means it's probably carcinogenic. That is a pretty bold claim. And they base that claim on, uh, and Jack had mentioned this word just a moment ago, correlational evidence. And so I just, I'm sure most of, the, most of you all listening know um, what correlational evidence is. But I, I need to highlight this just so that you can have some of the healthy skepticism that you should when it comes to science. Because when it comes to science, we all should be skeptical. There, it is never done. It is always a process of learning and continually trying to prove a theory false. So anything that has the word theory in it or hypothesis, you should be actively attempting to falsify that. Now, again, unfortunately, things go from data and provable theories or or testable theories and hypotheses into dogma. So the correlational evidence is what this is based on, and and it really can only be based on that. So a correlational study is one that uh, can only find a coincidence. And so these entities, like the World Health Organization, they will look at some of these these, these coincidences, uh, and then they will they will uh, assume that the correlation is the same as causality. In other words, they would uh, look at studies where the the scientists and physicians in these studies, the research individuals, they've given people questionnaires. And they ask the people to answer questions about what they eat. And then then they see, well, who's dying? And what are they dying from? And they've noticed in some studies, and I will touch on um, some, they've noticed, or what the evidence they're looking at, People that eat more red meat have more cancer. And, and so that's what they base their, these statements on, which is that red meat is probably carcinogenic. Now, what they can never say is that red meat causes cancer. They cannot say that because there is not a single, I mean, not one. There's not one single human study that can establish causality. That, that you, In other words, they would have to take a group of people and say, this group, group group A, you are going to eat a lot, most of your meat, if not all of it, from red meat. Group group B, you're not going to eat any. And then follow them for years and see what happens um, and who's dying from more cancer. You just can't do that. You can't ensure, you can't enforce adherence to those kinds of diets. So correlation, seeing a coincidence, cannot ever allow a person to say Red meat causes cancer. That statement should not be ever uttered by any educated individual. And I don't mean just a PhD, because sometimes PhDs are the biggest morons of all. Uh, but anyone who's rational should not utter the words, red meat causes cancer. There is not a single manuscript that has ever been published to show that that is something that happens in humans. What we can say, and I will look at some studies, is red meat might cause cancer um, because we have. These studies where it shows a coincidence, but that's the same thing. I think there was a study done in, in Maine that found that people that ate more margarine um, were more likely to be divorced. And, and that's one of the most ridiculous things in the world. And I think margarine is garbage, but that shouldn't have anything to do with their marital relationship. It's just a coincidence. The same thing as saying people with bigger shoes are smarter than people with smaller shoe size, which is, that's just a correlation because as you grow big, Your feet get bigger and you just learn more and you get a little smarter. So these are correlations. So I've said enough there. Now, with these correlational studies, another point to note is that they always present the data as a relative risk. It'll be called an odds ratio or a hazard ratio. And this is a relative risk. This is saying that if someone's chance of dying from cancer is 1% over their life, let's just pick that and then we say we've this people who eat meat have a have a 50 percent greater chance of dying that means that does not mean it's 50 percent out of 100 that means what was a one percent chance went up to 1.5 percent does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah so pe- so we need to know that these data are always presented as a relative risk um which means i mean it should be it should put things in perspective and then one last comment before we dive into some studies I believe that when we try to look at a specific disease, like, say, cancer, red, people who ate red meat had more cancer death, we ought to step back from that and say, well, what was total mortality? Did people who ate red more red meat actually die more? Because if you don't die from cancer, but you die from heart disease, well, then so what? You still, you still died at the same time. And this is where these studies can't ever really get into that it can only ever be with that specific topic. And in this case, it's cancer. But the, the the very, once again, the rational individual should step back from these kinds of studies and say, yeah, but did they live any longer or any shorter? And the answer is going to be no, there's no evidence to support that. They live just as long. It's just that someone else a- appeared to die from something else. So in the end, it's just all sort of a zero-sum game. All right. Now, with all of that having been said, um, let's, Look, uh, there were so many studies that I thought we could touch on. Um, I will mention um, the, uh, the study, and I think in many of the instances, we'll have a link in the notes, um, but I'll always mention the title in the journal so people could look it up. So one first study, just to confirm, this would be the kind of study that the World Health Organization is basing its, um, its statements about uh, meat on. Uh, this one was um, dietary fat and fatty acids. Oh, no, hold on, wrong one. I have so many here. Um, Let me open it. So the first one is published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And this study um, is meat intake and mortality, a prospective study of over half a million people. So prospective meaning they had people answer questionnaires, you know, every year or whatever, and then they follow them. Now, one other comment about questionnaires, um, part of the problem with how they will what they will call eating red meat is really, um, really subjective. So they could say, did you eat a hamburger? Well, then that counts as a red meat. Um, but we all know there's a lot of other junk in that hamburger. There's the bun and there's the sugary condiments and anything else. Maybe there's sugared bacon or something else that they have put on there. And so what they can consider eating red meat is very, very subjective. And I would even say sometimes very sneaky. So again, that study, Meat Intake and Mortality, a Prospective Study of Over Half a Million People. It was published in JAMA in 2009. And they found, um, they conclude that red meat uh, was associated with a modest increase in total mortality, cancer mortality, um, and cardiovascular mortality. And then if we look at the odds ratio or the hazard ratio, it went up by 20%. And so this is sort of what I was getting to earlier, where if someone has a 1% chance of dying from, from cancer, now it went up to 1.2%, so, which, you know, is pretty bloody small. I mean, it is 20% more than what it was, but there are many who consider that any a hazard ratio that is anything less than 2 is not real, or it is not meaningful. It's just within an, a, mar- an, a margin of error. So this study had a hazard ratio of 1.22, and they suggested... You know, this was a marginal or modest, they said, a modest increase in cancer mortality. Now, so this was a study that did show an association um, with with cancer. So they're suggesting a positive association. The more red meat, the more cancer. A different study published in um, 2004 in the American Journal of Epidemiology, this was called Dietary Fat and Fatty Acids, and risk of colorectal cancer in women. So this study was uniquely looking at women. They found an inverse relationship. So they found that there was a problem um, in in, in this assumption. Um, And they noted that that the finding warrants further examination. And I'm actually going to come back to that study in just a second. Another study in women looking at um, iron intake, which they viewed as sort of a surrogate for meat, found an inverse relationship. This was a study in the British journal of cancer, a co in 2007, and it's entitled a cohort study of dietary iron and heme iron intake and risk of Coloca- colorectal cancer in women. They found an inverse relationship. And so in other words, the women that were eating the most meat had the lowest, um, level of cancer risk and the women eating the least amount of meat had the higher risk. So we're starting to see some of the problems because. Now we know that people that are, that are looking and basing policy on um, correlational studies, they are selectively looking at some while conveniently looking at others. Now, in, in a wonderful, I would say, uh, uh, view of or, or sign of bravery, the Annals of Internal, of Internal Medicine, this is a very good biomedical journal, the Annals of Internal, Internal Medicine, at the end of 2019, they actually had a series of these trials (coughs) or of these studies um, that were attempting to look at the um, relationship between red meat and cancer. So there are several of these that I'll just list. It was, it was in one issue. Um, Again, this is the annals of internal medicine and the first one is the effect of lower versus higher red meat intake on cardiometabolic and cancer outcomes. The other study is reduction of red and processed meat intake and cancer mortality and incidence And then patterns of red and processed meat consumption and risk for cardiometabolic and cancer outcomes. So these were all sort of themes or or variations on the same theme. And the first of these concluded um, that, that low to very low certainty evidence suggests that diets restricted in red meat may have little or no effect on major outcomes, including cancer mortality and incidence. So they're saying there's no evidence to support that that is low or very low and to the point of being irrelevant. The second study, they concluded the possible absolute effects of red and processed meat consumption on cancer mortality and incidence are very small. And the certainty of evidence is low to very low. So once again, saying there's no correlation, there's nothing to support this, nothing that is even statistically significant, let alone meaningful. And then in the last of these studies that I mentioned, they say low or very low certainty evidence suggests that dietary patterns with less red and processed meat intake may result in very small reductions. And so once again, and these are all in this sort of 1 to, you know, a 10% to 20% hazard ratio, so like 1.2, that are, again, in many instances, in many circles of, of epidemiologists included, they consider that a meaningless sign that it's just... Too close within a margin of error to know. So that is the that is a handful of the correlational studies. Some showing a positive association. I showed one that cited an inverse association, and then several that cite no association whatsoever. Now another study I thought was interesting, um, and they looked at uh, the differences in colon cancer versus. Um, rectal cancer. In this study, let me make sure I have it here. They found that uh, there were in some instances in women, there was an increase in rectal cancer. In men, it was colon cancer. Um, And so they found these, this kind of hodgepodge coming and going. There maybe was a risk here, maybe not a risk there. And so they ended up concluding, this was red meat. This is in obesity reviews published in 2011 red meat and colorectal cancer, a critical summary of prospective epidemiologic studies. They said, because of these factors, the currently available epidemiologic evidence is not sufficient to support an independent positive association between red meat and colorectal cancer. So they are once again, poo-pooing this idea that there is um, something here to be worried about. So uh, I've, I hope at this point, people listening are getting increasingly skeptical um, because I do think you need to be. Now, I'm not done talking about this yet, but I'll maybe just sort of press pause for a brief moment. We ought to be very, we always ought to wonder at, at the advice we're getting when it comes to our health. Not that we have to assume ulterior motives, not that we have to live our lives as these deep skeptics, but now more than ever in this day and age when when people have such an ardent affection for science and they invoke these, these silly platitudes of, of we believe in science, you should never say that. Uh, someone should never say that because science is conducted by flawed people who are always trying to understand an idea, and it is never done. It is never done. So there's my little tangent there. Now, having said all of this, um, citing numerous epidemiological uh, correlational studies, why might there be one study that suggests there is an association, another study that's su- several that suggests there isn't, and then some that suggest there's an inverse association that eating meat, red meat is actually protective. Um, part of the conflict with this, I, I will, I suggest there are three things that we should be aware of. One of them is something called the healthy user bias. And there are multiple articles that people could look up to get a better idea. The one I will just mention here is in the British medical journal, HEART. And it's called Overestimation of the Effects of Adherence on Outcomes, a case study in healthy user bias. And in this case, they were just citing it as hypertension, but but they're making the point for healthy user bias. And this was published in, um, what year? Did I say the year, Uh, in the year, I think 2000, um, nevertheless, they find that part of the problem with these epidemiological studies is that they can't account for all of the nuance that, that is, um, separating these individuals that report eating a lot of red meat or repeating, uh, report eating very little, because we know that people that generally people that eat more red meat, tend to engage in actually unhealthy behaviors. They're much more likely to be smokers. They're much more likely to drink higher levels of alcohol and be more sedentary. So on the flip side, people that are deliberately electing to avoid red meat are doing so because almost always they believe it's unhealthy for them. And the fact that they've taken that step to follow what they think is good dietary advice they almost always are taking other steps to be healthier. In other words, they're much less likely to smoke and drink. They're much more likely to have um, better physical activity habits. And so there's this healthy user bias that you almost can never truly tease out, but it's almost always overlooked in these studies. It's just like the scientists can't be bothered to dig that deep into these study um, subjects. So that's one problem in explaining why we might see conflict across these um, correlational studies. And that first one is healthy user bias. A second problem might be that you can't really account for how the meat is prepared. And of course, eating, when you eat red meat or, or any meat or any food, the degree to which you've changed it or altered it certainly can alter the degree to which that would be healthy or not. Now, again, I don't want anyone to think I'm me citing these is me buying into the idea that red meat is a problem i'm just attempting to um account for the nuance that may play into these the conflict in these correlational studies so one of them could be the degree to which you char or or overcook the meat we know that the the black actually the same goes for for fruits and vegetables when you have charred it that black stuff on the meat or the fruits and vegetables or, or the toast or any, the bread, whatever it may be, those are things called advanced glycation end products, or ages. It's commonly just condensed to AGE or ages. High levels of advanced glycation end products are implicated, are thought to be a potential mechanism of cancer. Now, in humans, there's no evidence to support that. But in isolated cell cultures, which is not the same as a human um, cell, Um, There's some evidence to support that high levels of these advanced glycation end products may promote the growth of a tumor. So that could be, maybe that's it. Maybe it's when someone overcooks the meat, it's they've it. or, and again, that goes for any food, whether it's meat or fruits or vegetables or grains, it doesn't matter. All that black stuff is advanced glycation end products. Now it's also delicious. And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not, but that might be, remember, I'm just attempting to account for some of the the differences here that might be part of the problem And someone who wants to look at that. There's a study in, uh, in 2019 published called the role of advanced glycation end products in carcinogenesis and their therapeutic implications. So that's one. And then another instance, um, uh, with regards to how the food is prepared is the degree to which the, the meat and the fats in that meat have been fried. Frying, again, can not only create uh, these advanced glycation end products, but also lipid peroxides or these these highly radical lipids. And that, that study is when I mentioned earlier, the risk of fat and fatty acids and risk of colorectal cancer in women. And they found that consumption of, of meat and, and those fats um, did, had no correlation. But if it was coming from fried foods, then it did. Now... Of course, the the rational cynic hears me say that and says, "Well, how are they accounting for the fried food? What if they fried it in like a bready a, a bread batter, you know, or something like that, and they don't account for that?" And so even then it might not be that the meat has been fried or the fats themselves, but rather the carbohydrates, the flour and whatever that they fried it with. Now, I'm almost done. The third and final mechanism that would possibly possibly explain uh, a degree to which meat could, um, or how we could explain differences, why maybe this study showing a correlation and eating more red meat causes cancer. This one suggests there isn't a correlation. It could be differences in gut bacteria. Now I am always very loath to bring up gut bacteria because we know so little about it. And I would encourage everyone listening, anytime you hear someone speaking overly confidently about the gut bacteria they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, So in this case, it was a study where they've looked at something called a molecule called TMAO. And the study I'm looking at is Journal of Cancer published in 2019, so just recently. And it was trimethylamine N-oxide, that's what TMAO is, trimethylamine N-oxide as one hypothetical link for the relationship between intestinal microbiota, so the gut bacteria, and cancer. So some Possibly, the idea here is possibly some people have a particular population of gut bacteria that will take some of the components of the red meat, like L-carnitine, and then it converts that into this molecule, TMAO, which can then go into the body and then perhaps drive cancer. Uh, Now, again, I'm not attempting to offend any of these views. I'm just attempting to present some rationale for why some studies might find conflicting results. Now... Having said all of that, my long-winded explanation of going into some of the science of red meat and cancer, what do I think? I'll be clear. Uh, I think it is, I think there's no, I think there's no uh, concern. Um, There is no question at all that humans have been eating red meat since the very beginning of our species. Um, And there are a lot of unknowns with how we came to be who we are but that's a topic for another time. But there's no question that as early as we know our ancestors existed, we've been eating red meat. And the idea that this is causing a disease like cancer to me, I, I cannot reconcile that. I cannot reconcile ancestral human survival and nutrition with this modern day fear of that it may be causing cancer. I think it is unjustified. I do not think that link exists. I think uh, that if there, I think the the idea that the food we eat would increase the risk of cancer, it's going to be other variables, not the red meat. And in fact, I just had a conversation with someone the other day, and they asked, "Well, what would you consider as the one superfood?" And I know he was expecting I would give some answer about some fruit from some an- Indonesian jungle or something. And my answer is, red meat. I consider red meat to truly be the superfood that will give a person literally everything they need to survive. And the idea that that essential food um, causes cancer to me is, uh, is something I can't wrap my head around. And I've tried.
0: Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. A, I had um, a ribeye steak last night, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. Great. And you're going to probably live longer because of it. Oh right? yeah. You know, uh, I, I,
0: for me, my simple mind, because I don't have the the science mind that you have, Ben. But you're uh,
2: rational. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. Wow.
0: Here, here's the thing. You know that there are there are increases in cancer rates, and yet, like you said, we've been eating red meat forever and ever and ever. So, I mean, just looking at it so simply, how does how has anything changed other than we've been saying that you shouldn't eat red meat. And so in substitute, we're eating a lot of other carbs and things that are not good for us. I mean, it just seems really simple to a simple brain.
2: In fact, I love that you brought that up, Jack. We can track the consumption of red meat per capita in the United States and it climbed, climbed, climbed throughout the 1900s. In the 1970s, it plummeted and now it's sort of reached a new plateau. Cancer didn't come up and down like that. Cancer just spiked. Well, that immediately, to me, challenges the whole correlate, all these silly grand correlational studies and all their clever epidemiological wisdom. You can't reconcile that one simple fact that red meat consumption, the patterns in this country, it came up over the last century and then plummeted about 30 or 40 years ago. Cancer did not follow that same trend. Cancer has continued to go up and will soon overtake heart disease as the leading killer. And, and and we we don't eat more red meat now than we did 40 years ago
0: i know that 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 part seems so simple to a simple mind like mine yep.
2: <laughs> hey ben, ben. Yep, well then you gotta you gotta get confused jack you need a phd <laughs> to get, think you're cleverer <laughs> than you are gotta work Pilot, on it
0: pile it higher and deeper baby yeah yeah hey, hey ben uh i follow nina on on twitter when are we gonna get nina on board and, and do of my T of yeah oh
2: yeah So anyone listening, yeah, anyone listening, you could read her book, um, Big Fat Surprise. That's who Rich is referring to. It's a wonderful book that goes into specifically some of the conflict over the decades with regards to saturated and unsaturated and polyunsaturated fats and all of the kind of hidden agendas uh, that went into it, into promoting a message that scientifically wasn't justified.
0: Well, today uh, we usually go for a full hour on our stream. Today we're going to only go forty-five minutes, so we've got about another ten minutes. We've got a couple other commitments today that we've got to get to. So, but we do have. Well, some... Of course,
2: the truth of it is, we knew that people couldn't stand just the three of us without Carly <laughs> around. I know, That's man. true. Yeah, we need Carly to balance us out.
0: <laughs> we're sorry not to have Carly with us today. We do have. Dude, a few...
2: we're, we're, we're the three amigos, man. <laughs> oh,
0: there I you go. It. I do have some questions coming in though uh, from RC. Are ages Created when frying with saturated fat?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, yeah. So anytime, anytime you are heating something up, you run the risk of, of causing an advanced glycation end product. It's actually not the fat that is causing it, it's the heat, and and now you've glycosylated it. You're changing the nature of any, you know, amino acids in particular. So it's not really the fats that are a problem. So yeah, if you're frying it, even in a saturated fat, which I would recommend that's, I recommend that more because of the stability of the saturated fats themselves, not what the heat may be doing to amino acids and any starches. That's a separate phenomenon. So yeah, anytime you're heating something up to the point of blackening it or charring it, then you're creating advanced glycation end products. Now, again, I I hate for anyone... To hear me say this and think, oh man, I gotta stop searing my steaks. No way, I'm not saying that. I was. O- I'm only presenting that as a possibility that might explain why we have such conflict in the realm of understanding red meat's role in p- causing cancer, where it, it might be that you just can't account for the degree to which people are changing or 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 cooking how they how they cook their meat differently, because to eat a steak um, and it not be a little um, you know, seared or, you know, blackened or charred to some degree is, is not a steak I want to eat. So please, no one, no one extrapolate beyond what I've said and and take it as me suggesting we shouldn't do that. Um, I am not, I'm not saying that. So, so no, but it's not the saturated fat though, to answer the question.
0: Okay. Now Ben, now Ben, Jack, they have that new uh,
2: water bath that I've heard that they The sous vide? Yeah, Yeah, man, I heard that is money.
0: Yeah, I've heard that, but yeah, I, Jack
2: would know all about that. Well, Jack's I've, the
0: chef. I've definitely looked into it, and I haven't had it prepared that way. I can't imagine, though, uh, without that seared flavor, how exactly tastes. But I, I, I
2: think they sear it after they cooked the uh, when they cook I, the right, I think you're right, Jack. I think that's right. And then they eat I it. Think that's I think that's exactly. I've heard right. it's the best steak. I mean, I've had friends that say it's the best steak they've ever had.
0: Yeah, they make them in these new fancy machines that yeah. steam them in a way. Yeah. Uh, here's a question that speaks to one of my favorite things to eat, actually. Don't you love steak tartare? I love steak tartare.
2: I don't th- I don't even know what
0: that is. Oh, my gosh. You take a filet mignon, you thin slice it, kind of chop it, put in a little bit of egg yolk, uh, some capers, a little bit of parsley, maybe, maybe a little bit of breadcrumbs, uh, maybe a little bit of chopped egg, and you have it on toast points. It's amazing. So... To tea. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I I understood half of what you said. So, uh, see, uh, now, now, now it's now it's Jack's time to confuse nah, me. Man. Go, man. Go okay Jack. that's a whole other vernacular. I don't get a thing you just said. Question from TR.
0: Do you have any concerns about eating raw beef? Because steak tartare is raw filet mignon.
2: I, I don't actually. Okay. I think I think there are there's absolute evidence that we've been eating raw beef for uh, forever, as long as we've been who we are, that is part of the magic of a ruminant that you don't have with monogastric animals like chicken or, or pork. Um, the, the the ruminant animal just processes its food so differently that that meat is just, I guess, for lack of a better word, a lot cleaner. So I I, now having said all that, I'm not the kind of guy, I'm not going to eat raw meat anytime soon. Um, but I would eat raw beef, um, and and I would not, I would never eat raw chicken or raw pork, but right. I would eat raw beef if if Jack invited me over and he made whatever the steak hell steak tartare. Tartare, tartare.
0: I think it's a children's book.
2: <laughs> you guys,
0: you guys.
2: Isn't that where like the Titans were locked up with Zeus and the? We're gonna we're gonna replace the tartare with uh, Doctor Seuss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Question from Don any notable differences concerning this topic if we're talking about grass-fed versus grain-fed?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, no, I don't believe so. There may be minuscule, and, and I would say meaningless, um, but not to say that they don't change. There, there could be changes in the composition of some of the fats, and maybe if it is um, less, if it's more grain-fed, it might have more omega-6 polyunsaturated fats, which I, do, I consider generally a problem. Um, and if it's grass-fed, it may have relatively more omega-3s. Um, you know, Generally, that's considered a good change, but I think when it's all said and done, the, the differences in the composition of the fatty acids are so modest that, that I don't think the consequences on health are, are relevant, and certainly not on cancer.
0: From Nick, are there certain nutrients in red meat that you absolutely cannot get from other foods?
2: Um, well, it would depend on what the other foods are, um, so, so I, can't, I can't definitively answer that. Uh, if you are comparing red meat to, say, any plants, any fruits and vegetables or grains, then the answer is absolutely yes. Um, those grains and fruits and vegetables cannot give you the essential omega-3 fatty acids. They can give you the essential omega-6, which is linoleic acid that appears to be essential, although that's debated. Um, EPA and DHA are essential omega-3s. You have to have them for brain function, certainly brain development. Um, You cannot get them from any um, plants in any way, shape, or form. So that's one problem. There are amino acids. Um, You can get them from plants, but I would argue not in the right composition. Um, and you need heme iron, getting any amount of iron from broccoli or whatever will not be sufficient, you have to get it in heme iron, um, so you would be, and, and then lastly, I guess just to round it out, um, uh, vitamin B12, you cannot get that from any plant, um, and you can get all of those things from beef, so now, now if someone's saying, well, I don't want to eat beef, I, I don't, I can't say this definitively, um, I'm, not a, I'm not enough of a food scientist, you probably can get much of those things from other meats, and, and eggs, and some of them from dairy too. The heme iron will probably be the biggest problem. Um, uh, and, and to varying degrees, I don't know about the others, but the more a human avoids meat, the more nutrient um, deprived they're going to become. That's absolute fact.
0: Great. Well, what a great discussion. Awesome. Yeah. What a great discussion. You know, we get a lot of questions uh, about this, and I'm so glad that we're kind of tackling it in a little series uh, of uh, of metabolic classroom discussions, Ben. So thank you so much for preparing the one for yeah. today.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, just to really put a fine point on it, um, I hope that we discuss this um, diplomatically and rationally, but I, I, I also hope that people should be Skeptical. Now, again, not that you're walking around angry and glaring at at, at scientists and people that, in some instances, are genuinely trying to give you good advice, like say your friendly physician. Um, But but you should be very skeptical when it comes to these any of these um, outcomes, like chronic diseases, like cancer and red meat. There is red meat is such a polarizing topic in any number of ways in this day and age, and 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 so we we ought to be a little skeptical of of this, when people are making claims, especially what the headlines are saying, the headlines in, in, in a media outlet will often, if not always, go way too far. And then when you actually look at the study, the study might have had some of the conclusions like I shared, which is, you know, very low evidence. And and, and then a study would take that and say, oh, yeah, but you're saying there's something. And so that's the headline they go with. Um, So we should be very skeptical about what we're told when it comes to, among uh, many things, but red meat especially.
0: Thank you for listening to The Metabolic Classroom. This podcast is brought to you by Insulin IQ, nutrition and lifestyle coaching for insulin control and better health. Learn more at InsulinIQ.com. And by Health Code, the world's healthiest and most delicious meal replacement shake. Learn more at GetHealth.com. That's G-E-T-H-L-T-H dot com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at Insulin IQ.